I don't let anybody put the angry black woman trope onto me. If I'm angry, I'll tell you I'm angry. If I'm not, I'll say that I'm not. You don't get to decide for me. And so I really encourage Gen Z to continue being the disruptors that they are and to speak out and to understand when you will speak out and it's to your detriment. This week is a really, really special conversation for me. Brittany Brady is the CEO of NAEP, the nation's leading professional alliance committed to building the capacity of educators to increase student access, educational equity, and workforce diversity. Throughout her career, Brady has been a passionate advocate for equitable access to education and quality teacher training and support. Brady was formerly the chief development officer for Lumen Education. Previously, she was the director of advancement at Education Open Stores and the executive director of the Brewer Foundation Future Leaders program. Brady serves as a board member of Our Dream Foundation and program director for the Thrive Intern and Leadership Program. She holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Maryland and a master's degree from Harvard Graduate School of Education. Brittany, thank you so much for for taking the time. I know you have a lot going on these days, but I always really enjoy our conversations and I think everyone else will enjoy this conversation as well. Well, sounds good. I'm glad that you're having me today. I'm excited to to dive in. It's always generative and exciting. And I always love talking to you. So I'm glad that we get this time. It's the best part of my day. It's just connecting. So I appreciate that. And I think for me, I, when I was thinking about this conversation, I wanted to do it a little bit differently. I think first, selfishly a little bit, I wanted to use the space for advice, you know, as a nonprofit founder, I think this is going to be a really powerful conversation for myself, but also for folks that are listening. So I think one theme is that I think it's important for people of every career level to hear how you are trying to really rethink and redesign how a workspace can operate day to day. I think it's really great inspiration for me in designing work cultures, but I think for a lot of other folks, it can also help them as they're assessing if an organization is the right fit for them, what kind of markers they can look for to kind of indicate what kind of workplace it'll be and how leadership approaches the way that they take care of their team. And then the second piece is your leadership style really like kind of it ties together, but is really a groundbreaking example of it. It starts at home, right? This idea of if we are going to work towards equity and justice, that has to be infused in everything about how the infrastructure of the organization operates and how we view the workplace and the role that the workplace plays in that work. And so those are some of the things that I'm really excited to to dig into with this conversation with you, Brittany. So I um, just wanted a level set with folks. Those are some of the big things that are on my mind going into this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think taking a step back, let's sort of talk about your work right now um, and the title of CEO. Very, you know, in traditional sense, very impressive, very, uh, very much a sign of accomplishment uh, and kind of the one of those things of like, oh, you've reached the apex, you're at the top. and would love to hear sort of in your own words, how you feel about that title and about the place that you have landed in your career at this point. Yeah, well, I've shared with you that I don't believe in rigid power dynamics. And so I share that in all spaces very frequently um, because it's the truth. And so I landed in a CEO role, but I never sought power or control. And so I'm constantly um, renegotiating with what my position means for how I engage with others and how my behavior and how I show up can impact others. And so related to kind of your level set, I identify as a human leader. And so that's a double entendre. So one, I am a leader of other humans that's been placed upon me based on the role and the positionality, but I'm also a human being. And so reminding people of that and not showing up as, you know, a leader who is infallible or who's always expecting for you to do more, 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 but instead saying we're all human beings 
how can I support your humanity and how can you support mine, right? Because there's no CEO without the admin assistant or without the programs team or without the operations team. Everybody works together in this community that we've kind of fostered. And I found, especially in mission-driven spaces, that sometimes people um, excuse very top-down behavior because there's this ideology that like, oh, the leader knows best. I'm a learning leader, so I might not know best. I don't know your role better than you know your role. And so enlighten me and how I can support you and get roadblocks out of the way. I'll tell my team all the time, like I am just a high-level firefighter, right? And sometimes I don't want to fight fire. Sometimes I'm putting down the prevention, you know, uh, building the walls to make sure that the fire doesn't spread or whatever the case may be. It, it requires different things. But knowing that my highest and best use, I believe, as a CEO is to be of service to those that are facilitating the majority of the work. And so I take that very seriously. And I don't I've never really sought out power and position. Right. And so what's interesting about being in the role is, to your point, people are like, oh, wow, like you're so successful. And I felt like I was successful when I survived working full time during a pandemic with the two two-year-old flipping over my head during meetings, right? Like that is when I felt like I was the most successful to keep my mind healthy and to keep my body healthy in a time where so many people were experiencing strife. And I honored that grief in that role. I still honor that grief in the new role. And I think it's important for us to show up honestly and earnestly when engaging with other people, for sure. So that, that's been interesting, right? Because now all these people are like, oh, well, Brittany's successful. Am I? You know, I, I embrace that. I won't I won't be one of those, you know, flipping people that's like, it's no big deal. It's a big deal. I'm very honored to be in this space. But since I'm in the equity and justice space, we must be equitable in how we're talking about what success looks like as well. Right. You might be successful because you decided to start. You found it something that's successful where it goes is secondary to the fact that you had the the wherewithal to get something started. And so I think that we should kind of shift our perspective a little bit and define success on our own terms. Yeah, there's so many pieces to that that I want to dig into. I think one is this theme that comes up really frequently, but it's never it's never bad to repeat it again because it's something that we're so far away from, I think, still in society in general. But I think it's really important for social impact spaces to lead the charge on this is the idea of questioning power structures and why are those in place and what is the purpose of leaders? Right. And I think one of the challenges we see a lot in social impact is that there is this long standing pattern of like paternalistic attitudes or kind of coming in and saying, I know what's best for this community. I'm going to come in in this role, given my fancy title and my credentials, that I'm the one who knows best what needs what is needed in the situation. And I think that attitude we know is really, really toxic mm-hmm. and tends to perpetuate a lot of these challenges in the first place rather than solving them, and in some cases, making them worse. And so I think that this idea of what you're talking about in your leadership style within the microcosm of your organization is something that is powerful because we need to think about it on a much broader scale. And I think sort of as I started, it starts at home. The way that you're addressing challenges within just your team is really reflective of what we should be doing on a on a wider scale. So wondering if that resonates with you, but that was one piece that really stood out to me about what you said. Yeah, it definitely resonates with me, especially because now I'm in these conversations with really powerful people, right? And so it's interesting when you kind of take off that mask of being the leader 
what emerges. And I won't, you know, disrupt any confidential connections that I've had with people. But what I will say is everybody's grappling with their humanity, right? And so I encourage other people that sit in my seat to show up as yourself and then to just see what happens. Because I think what's also propped up in this kind of very power hungry, control driven society is this idea of knowing all the things. And if you don't know, then you're seen as less than or weak or flawed, which is the opposite of how learning actually happens, right? So I am a CEO of an equity organization that works to increase access in STEM and CTE. I've been a lifelong educator. I just had my students that I had in 2014 text me this morning and they named it Britney's Babies from 2014, right? So I am a person that loves kids. I've always loved kids. I've taught Sunday school. I carry those students with me into every room, into every space, into every place because it reminds me that I learned from them. I didn't come in as a teacher. I didn't come in telling them what they need to know, even though, of course, there's content that they need for life. But I opened up that ongoing dialogue of being a learner in that space and it transformed my mindset. And so when I encourage people to be a learner, it's not just because I'm an educator and I think it's cool to say you're a lifelong learner. It's because there's such a richness that emerges when you open yourself up to saying, you know what, I don't have that answer. Perhaps my colleague wants to weigh in. Or you know what? No, I don't have that answer. Let me look it up. Could you inform me better about whatever this situation is or whatever the case may be? But how often do we hear leaders say, that. Not often. At least I haven't. Maybe you have, right? But how much further along would we be if people did not have to feel like they're always in control or they're always knowledgeable, but instead being open to the lessons that life offers you along your path? And I think a lot of people in leadership or that are seeking leadership don't show up in that way because they want to be the expert. But the smartest people I know are learners, right? I have a good friend who has a PhD from Harvard. She's a professor at Harvard. She's always saying, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me check on that. Or could you provide me some literature to better inform my position? That's her whole framework. And she's a genius, right? But people don't embrace that. I think if we did, I think the, and this is a big statement, but I do believe, I think the world would change because people have to be open to what they don't know. And I don't think that we're at that place yet, but I'm happy to not know all the things. That's not my responsibility as a human being. And so I can learn as much as I can teach. And that's really important for me, both as not just a leader, but as like a human being. I love that. And I'm going to put on the like hat of the uh, older, more conservative, traditional leader who might have had a lot of C-suite titles or is aspiring to those sorts of titles and play the well, you know, you know, trying to put the think the devil's advocate or whatever they say, (laughs) Um, because these are all, you know, what they might say is, oh, these are all really nice ideas. But ultimately, that's not how a successful organization or company functions. Like you need someone at the top who's, you know, telling people what to do and setting the course and people need to be able to look to that person and know that they they know what they're doing. But I'm curious, you as we've had conversations outside of this one, you basically are treating your new role in many ways as an experiment with like different leadership styles and not rooting it in this traditional framework or what a leader is supposed to do in a room in a meeting. I'm curious if you could share sort of what you have found operating in this much more vulnerable and open way with your staff. Healthy engagement. That's what I found because they can see that I don't always know all the things. My team truly supports me. 
because they can see the things that I don't see. And they understand that I want to be informed about it. What I found about top-down leaders is that there is a code of silence that emerges under your leadership when you function in that way. And so you think that you're leading and you think that people are really on board and excited, but those water cooler conversations, those Zoom chats, those side conversations are likely not positive or um, supportive of you. And also that is how, in my opinion, toxic work environments flourish, right? You have someone at the top that thinks that they know what they're doing and and maybe they might, right? I'll, I'll give that, I'll give that grace in that space. Maybe you are indeed an expert, but if you are not opening the door of communication to everyone on your team to call you out, to call you in, I can guarantee you're missing something. And so I'll give an example. Earlier last week, I needed to take a sick day. I just didn't feel well. I had been traveling, tested for COVID, tested negative, but like I just did not feel good. And so I started clearing my calendar and for the meetings that I was running, right? Do you know what my team did? They cleared the rest of my calendar for me. They said, oh, we want you to take care of yourself the way you tell us to take care of ourselves. And so we can reschedule. They found spaces on my calendar. They made sure that they weren't booking me back to back and they found other time for us to connect on their own. I didn't have to ask for it. Now, does that happen if I'm a leader who's always expecting people to be at their best and brightest? Would they still have tried to show up and show me that they're still working hard? Probably. And that would have worn me down. But instead, because I'm trying to cultivate a compassionate community and be clear, I am not perfect. There are probably things that my team is like, Brittany, you need to do X, Y, and Z. But the difference is they tell me. They feel like I'm not only going to tell her, she's going to listen and she's going to try to find out how we can get to the other side of whatever this thing is. And that's the key difference, right? Because I don't want anyone to be operating in a silo. I don't want anyone to be enduring toxicity and not feeling like they can share it. I don't want to be perpetuating harm or causing harm based on my positionality or my behavior. And so continuing to say, we know that people think that top-down works, but we can look at every top-down example of leadership and find someone on that team that is deeply unsatisfied because of how that leader is showing up. And I think that's the part that people don't want to call out. People want to let leaders be leaders. Oh, well, they did great things because they raised money or because they had an idea. But how do the people who work with you every day feel about you? That is my marker of success, truthfully. Am I making someone's life easier by my existence in their life or am I making it harder? If it's ever harder, I need to call myself in and I need to renegotiate with my own personal behavior. And I think there is a practical element of that too, right? It's it's important to create a space and foster a space where people spend 40, probably 40 plus <laughs> hours of their life a week engaging with that space. And that's as a leader, I, I do totally agree with you as part of the responsibility, but there is also a practical reason to invest in that kind of environment is because we know there's endless data that turnover, people leaving jobs constantly, consistently is really, really challenging for an organization when it comes to getting the work done. If people are always out the door, then how are you going to make any kind of progress in a meaningful way? And I have seen that in a lot of different workplaces. And one of the things we tell people all the time in this work is you don't leave companies, you leave managers, you leave leadership, right? And I think that that is the other piece of what you're saying that really resonates is it's not just that it's the right thing to do as humans, but also if you really care about the work and the mission, taking care of your people is really, really critical to that. And we know that that is also very true. So wondering if you, if that resonates and sort of what you have seen in terms of your own team responding to this work culture and what they say about what makes it different, if they've kind of shared anything like that with you. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, in terms of like an equitable environment, 
I don't think that a lot of people have experienced it. So there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of collaboration. Things don't move as fast. Things don't move slow either. I mean, my team still runs at it pretty hard, but there's this almost feels like a collective exhale. Like I don't have to perform in this space. Um, When we were interviewing for a new team member, this person asked, you know, what is it like working with, you know, she didn't know, the person didn't know I was going to be their manager, but they asked, you know, who am I going to be reporting to and what is it going to be like? And so the first thing that I said was, first of all, I'm the primary collaborator on this role. I've been toying around with the language, haven't settled on anything yet, but I don't like manager, supervisor. I don't like any of it. It feels very <laughs> antebellum to me. <laughs> and so I just, I push up against it, but I didn't answer the question, right? Because I don't know how people experience me. So someone else that I primarily collaborate with was on the call and I invited them to respond. And what they shared was they feel like they can be themselves in this workplace, ask the big questions, figure out what will allow the work to move forward without feeling like they have to perform, right? And that's powerful to me because there's so much of work that's performance. And that truthfully, I think is what drains people is I have to show up in this way instead of straight and nod my head a lot and look directly at you on Zoom. And if I'm looking down, I'm going to explain why I'm looking down. And releasing that has really kind of freed up people in in a certain way. And then what I will also say is being mindful of how we're being relational, right? So a lot in the workplace is transactional. You have a meeting, you have a goal. Sometimes you have a goal, sometimes you don't. I always try to make sure you have a goal for the meeting. But some people jump right in, right? Well, you don't know if I still want to meet. So I always ask at the beginning of the meeting, is now still a good time for you, right? That's a practice that I put in place. I always give people an out because maybe your brain doesn't want to do this right now. And maybe we need to think about something different. Or maybe there's something else that's very present on your mind that you want to share. And do you know, every single time I ask that, I often get a very honest answer because of how I'm showing up. So I've had people say, you know what, actually, I don't feel well. Can we reschedule? And it's actually gotten to the point now where people will say, you know what, I'm not really having, you know, the best day? Can we look at a different time? They feel empowered to do that. But that is directly calling out those pieces of our culture that make things feel compulsory and keeping people in that curious, creative, open-minded space. I think that's better for the work. And something you said earlier about, you know, it's good for being a human being, but it's also just better for advancing the mission. What I've found is most things that are good to do on a human-to-human level are good for any business or entity or any organization. I think people don't let themselves consider that because they think about the front end cause, but a lot of people are not strategic or long-term thinkers either. And that's kind of a fast thing to say, but I've done the legwork and I've seen it. And I've seen people that don't think two inches off of their nose. I want to be in relationship with those that I work with. I want to know that your child just graduated from high school. Yeah. I want to see their graduation speech. Oh, it was just Father's Day and you're missing your father because you're grieving. How about you, you know, go camera off or maybe you just don't take any meetings today. Those are the things that I want to know because we're human beings. We don't just spend 40, 45, 50, 60 hours at a workplace to just engage in drudgery, right? Especially not in impact-driven spaces. And so if they don't feel holistic, if they don't feel compassionate, if they don't feel kind, if they are not equitable, then it can't stand, right? How would I be a leader of an equity organization and I have someone with a chronic disability and I say, you have to be cameras on all the time knowing that you're dealing with chronic pain. Is that equitable? Is that kind? No, right? 
So people get caught up in what they think leaders are supposed to do. And they just re redo what they've seen, even if it didn't work for them. And we just keep perpetuating these same isms, issues, problems. And I really, I am a person that's rooted in a radical imagination. I'm sure you've heard me use that term before. And I really mean that because I think that the way that the world is now, a hundred years ago, they would have been like, what? You guys are talking on a computer screen? They didn't even know what that could be, right? And so we have to be thinking, especially as an educator, I want my kids to lap me. I want you all to put me to shame. I want you to find success for yourselves. And I want you to live as liberated and as free as you possibly can. But what I also know is in many ways, we're getting in our own way as a society. And so the more that I can share about what I'm doing, which is really just being a human being and asking people how they're feeling and actually listening to it is radical, but hopefully one day it won't be. That was incredible. That was that was beautifully said. And I think I really resonate with this idea of being your full self in the workplace. And like everything you're talking about is both radical and very simple at the same time, which is what's really interesting about it is like, to your point, you're just asking people how they are and giving them space to really be themselves and feel comfortable sharing what they need. That is, in, again, in some ways so basic, but so foreign because of how we have compartmentalized the workplace versions of ourselves with all other versions of ourselves. And exactly. so I think there's a lot to unpack there. For myself, one of the things that I'm reflecting on is and I don't think I did this by, by design. And I think I did this sort of happenstance. And then I realized it was really working is when I go into meetings with people that I meet for the first time, I really try and be my authentic self. If it's not been a great day at the front of a meeting, I'm like, you know, it has been a rough Tuesday. And I say that because I want to create a 30 minute conversation with someone where they are going to be more honest about where they are at. Because one, it makes it a much more pleasant and less transactional 30 minutes of my time. And it feels less like we're posturing. And also from a business perspective, to be totally honest, I get a better conversation out of that person Always. and I can better understand where the opportunity is for me. So like I have found a lot of power in showing up authentically, both personally and professionally, uh, makes my job a lot more fun too. So I, I totally resonate with that. But one thing I'm also thinking about for folks who are listening who aren't in a position at the organization where they are able to shape culture as much as you are able to shape culture, you've been able to set meeting norms and calendar norms, and you have for better, you know, for better or worse, you have a lot of power in that way. Um, and you're using those powers for good, I would, I would argue. But for folks who are not in that kind of position, and they want to implement these kinds of practices, um, even in a small way, what are some of the things that we can be doing to slowly incorporate these different practices in our day to day, both for ourselves and also to demonstrate to our team members, this is kind of how we could be operating, mm -hmm. or this is how we could kind of improve, even within our, maybe our small group, improve the way that this work environment feels? Well, I would say regardless of where you are in terms of positional power, culture is something that's co-created from every person in the organization. And so the first thing I have to name explicitly is that everybody has power. Whether you are being empowered by that person in leadership or not does not change the fact that you have power. And so it's critical for people to really get that part clear first and then figure out what feels right in your spirit and what doesn't. What I mean by that is, you know that you have a weekly team meeting and you've noticed that you never get to speak, right? Who knows why you don't get to speak, but you know you never get to speak. And sometimes you have something to say. How are you calling the person that is either leading the meeting or other people on the on the call? How are you addressing 
you being silenced, right? Now, granted, one would hope that someone in a position of power would see that and would kind of adjust it. But we all know that people aren't perfect. And so maybe they don't know. And so that's when the advocate has to emerge within you. And what I will also say is if you advocate for something for you to be seen as wholly human and it's not respected, then you need to leave. And I know everybody's talking about the great resignation and millennials love quitting jobs and Gen Z doesn't work. I mean, we hear all of it, right? But the truth of the matter is that our bar for respect is where it should be. And people have not always been shown or extended respect in the way that they should. And so now we're saying the bar needs to raise higher. And all of my students that are coming up that are soon going to be in the workplace, their bar is even higher. And I don't think that there's any wrong with that. And so speaking out about things in a previous capacity, I was not the CEO or the executive director, but the pandemic was happening. And I noticed that most of the team was about to burn out. And so I told the ED at the time, I said, we need to do something. I had an idea. I said, we need to do something. I think we should close for half of a day on Fridays. And we should just tell people, we're just giving you your time back to go and kind of get yourself together. Whatever you need to do to restore your energy, you get four hours back on Friday afternoons, do what you need. I was not in a position of power. I advocated for it. It happened, right? But I knew what didn't feel right to me, working a whole day on Friday while I'm, again, have a two-year-old somersaulting over my head. And I came up with a solution. Now, the solution might, uh, might not always be perfect or implemented. The truth of the matter is a lot of leaders don't have all the ideas for all the issues. Most leaders don't know all the issues on their team. And so really, again, the space is co-created. You don't, what you don't know, you can't fix or address. And the more people on your team that feel empowered to say something about things that like don't feel right, the better the organization can be. And that's also your litmus test as an individual to figure out if that's the place for you, right? If something's not feeling right to you and it falls on people that aren't paying attention, then you know, maybe I'm not being valued as I should in this space. And maybe I need to find a space where I am valued because all of our administration folks can tell me whatever's going on. All of our consultants can tell me, board members can tell me, it does not matter where you sit. I want to hear all of it. And I hope to address it because I don't want anyone to feel like they're in a tenuous or difficult situation working with me. Yeah, this theme of particularly millennials and Gen Z setting a really high bar, given the work that I do, I see this tension all the time. I think there is like a really interesting cultural moment when it comes to like, what is the role of the workplace? Because there are several different philosophies to this, right? There are people who kind of clock in, do their thing and clock Mm -hmm. out and live a little bit more of a compartmentalized life. And I think that has been the expectation for a really long time. And I think a lot of millennials kind of, I see a split, right? I see there's a certain set of millennials who have fallen into that culture and are like, I'm good with this. Like I'm good to do my 40 hours and then just like put it away. And then there are people who are very much not like that and they want more. And particularly Gen Z, we work with a lot of Gen Zers and they are facing a lot of challenges as far as I can see, stepping into workplaces, particularly more institutional organizations and companies that are not meeting their expectations of what they should be getting out of the workplace. And I really struggle with this question of how do you deal with this significant transition period? What do we carry from what past work cultures have been and what do we do away with and who leads the charge on that, right? So with my Gen Zers, for example, I work with a lot of students who come from historically marginalized communities, stepping into institutional organizations that are led by you know predominantly white privileged folks. And they have their foot in the door because they get to work there and they are experiencing and getting exposure at that organization, but they are facing a huge cultural barrier in terms of 
how they are expected to show up and the kind of way they are expected to speak, the way that they show up to meetings, the way that they send emails and it's working against them. And I don't, I don't know if there is an answer. I don't know if you have an answer, but it's just something that I'm observing about this moment. And I want to be helpful to this next generation. And I face this tension between telling them you should set the standard that feels right for you and also preparing them for the world that they are, that has already been in place for so long. So I don't know if you have advice for me, for folks listening. This is a really loosely held thought, obviously, but it's what's been on my mind the last couple of months? It's been on my mind since I was working with Gen Z when they were in middle school, right? I knew back then that their view of the world was totally different. And obviously the internet has a lot to do with it. I know Gen Z is sick of people saying social media, social media, but previous generations did not grow up with that being a critical part of their life. And so I think because they have an idea of what they want their lives to look like, either because it was developed internally or developed by comparison, they weren't quite ready for how restrictive workspaces are, right? Like I have a colleague who wore sneakers to work when I was managing them. I didn't care. You're getting the work done. Do your thing. They soon learned that someone else did not like they wore sneakers to work and mentioned it every single day. Now you have a toxic work environment because somebody does not like an article of clothing you have on. Now, me being the equitable person is like, do your shoes do the job, right? Like, what what does that have anything to do with anything, right? That that big question, that ongoing curiosity. But there's like this balance that we all have to strike, frankly, of what's personal and what's professional. I personally think that professionalism is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous set of standards that was set forth by people who don't look like either of us and probably don't share our same gender or anything. And so it's like, okay, we're still following these same rules and these same same expectations in a world that looks completely different. And so what I often tell my Gen Z students is understand that it's like freedom within limits, right? You know, if it's a call with your immediate supervisor, you probably should turn your camera on. I know you don't like to turn your camera on, but you probably should because they need to see you. They need to have their relationship. Do I respect the fact that you want to have your camera off? Yes. Do I also know how I might be perceived by others? Yes. And so I always tell them both sides of the coin. The choice is yours. Whatever you choose to do is what you choose to do. But thinking about how that's perceived is a critical thing. Now, what my work is in is in shifting the perception, right? I'm in the equity space. So I'm always going to be asking the question of why are you expecting people to do what you're asking them to do? How is that advancing your mission, your revenue, your whatever it is that you're doing? Are these things actually critical for you to see success? And if they aren't, you should be grappling with that as a collective, because the truth of the matter is Gen Z is our soon to be workforce. And so the place Places that aren't catching up are going to be left behind. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I remember when I was growing up, there were so many stores that are no longer here. There are whole industries like Radio Shack was like a big thing. We used to go to FYE and buy music. Where are those places now, right? And so people need to think about the fact that you can become extinct if you don't evolve with the times. And I think that being open to evolution is, again, one of those like higher level thinking things that a lot of leaders are not engaging in. And then probably five years from now, we're a little bit ahead of it. Five years from now, everybody's going to be asking, what can they do to retain Gen Z talent? Because the turnover piece that you mentioned is going to be right in their face. And is Gen Z wrong for that? I don't personally think so. Um, Because back to that personal versus professional compartmentalization, it's cool if you compartmentalize. I do a little bit to kind of like turn my brain off at the end of the day and kind of get distant from work. But the truth of the matter is most of my waking hours 
are working. You work five out of the seven days a week. You work the middle of your day, which is when your brain is most active, which means that even though people try to act like you can have work-life balance, work is a key piece of how you can maintain that other balance. And so being clear about what you're needing and the work that you're engaging in, I think is something that will get us closer to solving some of these big problems we see in the world if we let Gen Z and Gen Alpha, who is right after them, lead us. But again, I know that's an unconventional thought, but I have learned so much about leadership all of the things that I've shared about asking how people are doing and engaging in that way, that came from my students. I will always give them the credit that they are owed because they offered that to me. And I'm glad that I was able to learn from them. And I think if more people seek to learn from Gen Z, they might surprise themselves. They're not just entitled or the other very nasty things and very ageist things that we say. Instead, they are very aware of the world around them and they're challenging it. And I think that that's what we should be fostering instead of trying to hinder. Yeah, I deeply appreciate what you're saying there because I do, I love how much Gen Z pushes, right? It can be as someone who's to work with them a lot. Sometimes I'm just like, I, I feel that older, like just relax. And then I catch myself and I'm like, okay, but wait, they might have a point there. And I, I think that that sense of radical change that they want is something that we do need. I I do agree with you. And I I also, what you're saying makes me feel better about sort of the way that I approach this work, which is wanting to prepare someone for like, okay, here's how this space operates. You deserve to know that. So you're not going in blind, but you get to decide how you want to engage with that right. space. You can do what you want with it, but you deserve the information and to be on an equal playing field with other people who are more familiar with this environment. And I think that I just see, I think the the part that is going to be really challenging and that I feel for my Gen Zers is because I see this in like small instances so much in my students when they intern is that they're we work with amazing partners. This is not like me pointing at anybody in particular, but I have seen lots of little moments of students who are working at an organization where the leadership looks really different from them. And there are so many small, I guess you would just call them microaggressions that they experience in trying to navigate that space. And so I think that, that those growing pains are going to be really, really challenging. But I think to your point, if something doesn't feel right as a Gen Zer, have a plan, but you should leave. Like, And I think I... I'm excited about the changes that organizations are going to be forced to make if they want to retain that top talent, to your point, right? We shouldn't let Gen Z just fold into these cultures like without thinking about it and say, no, 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 this is how it's always been done. Just got to figure out how to deal with it. Teaching them how to set boundaries of like, how much are you willing to put up with once you hit that limit, knowing how you can step away and identify a place that is a better fit for you. I think all of that really, really, I appreciate that a lot. And I think a lot of students and young people listening hopefully find that helpful as well. But yeah, being prepared for the harm is something that I wish I didn't have to prepare young people for. But that is just sadly the toxicity of our current environment. And so if you're thinking that you're going to be able to show up and establish your boundaries and no one's going to say anything, I'm sorry to tell you they will. Right. There's this idea And I love I love the term boundaries because it really gets at the root of the matter, in my opinion. What I've noticed is a lot of people in leadership positions don't have boundaries. They don't have boundaries, not with work, not with what they share. They just are like spilling all over the place. Right. And then when somebody shows up with boundaries, it's like, oh, well, you're not a culture fit here. But why is that your culture? Why are you expected to give everything away? Right. Or to just work at all hours of the the night and day. And I don't I would be shocked if I saw Gen Z fold in 
into this cultural moment because it's just antithetical to what I've seen them experience generationally, right? And so it's like, no, this is a problem. And now with the pandemic added on top of that, it's even more pronounced for them. Like, no, if I'm going to be stuck in my house doing something, it needs to be worthwhile and it needs to be with people that actually respect me. And if you don't, I'm going to have to go. And something about the microaggressions piece as a Black woman, sometimes they feel micro and sometimes they feel macro. And we have to call that out as well. And a lot of people who are the primary ones pushing that out or putting that onto people are people who just have not had that self-reflection enough to say, why am I showing up like this in the workplace? Why is someone saying that they won't work after 7 p.m. so upsetting to me? Is it because I've allowed myself to be worked to the bone and I don't feel like I'm valued? But those self-reflection questions don't happen. But Gen Z has that self-reflection down, right? Something that one of my good friends told me one time, um, she is really one of those people that pushes my thinking. She's extremely liberated in terms of her mindset. And she says, sometimes when people see freedom, if they have not embraced it for themselves, they resist it, right? I think that's what we're seeing in this moment with how Gen Z is showing up, right? Well, I want you to dress this way. I want you to speak this way. Don't put hey in an email. Don't just write like you're texting. And it's like, okay, but all of these other things are performance. And it's okay that we call it that. And I will teach you Gen Z, Gen Alpha how to perform. But I'm always going to say that it's performance because it's not necessary to get the job done. And I think that that's one of those things that like, really speaks to me on like my my cultural side, because there's so many ways that you have to consort yourself to be accepted by others when you present differently from the norm, right? And I'm saying the norm with air quotes in case you all can't see me, because there's no such things as what's normal and what's not, right? Everyone is themselves. We live in a big, bold, diverse world. People need to get used to it. And so if we are really going to be the people that we could be, then embracing that diversity of mind, of body, of spirit, of approach, of performance, of creativity is essential. And I think that people that are resisting it are having a lot of challenges right now. And that's the reason why that those microaggressions, something my dad used to say, he said, oh, I'm making you mad. That means I'm on your street, right? It's the exact same thing. That means that I'm, I'm showing up in a way that you have not yet reconciled with. And that's your work. And so what I hope Gen Z really gets is that when you're experiencing those things, you know how they say like, it's not me, it's you, or it's not you, it's me. Like, it's very much them. Don't own anybody else's thing that they're putting upon you. It's not fair to you. And it's not fair to their own personal growth to act like they're right when they're wrong. And that's okay too. And I think the more that we speak out and explicitly about what's not okay, the better off we'll be. I had a colleague tell me, oh, well, now that you're a CEO, are you going to make your nail shorter? No, I might make them even longer. What are you talking about? Somebody would say that's a microaggression, but you're literally talking about my body and how I'm showing up. Is that any of your business? No, it's really not. Again, boundaries, what's appropriate and what isn't. When people show up and they set that boundary, now I'm upset. Oh, are you angry because I said that? Yes, I am. Because you should not have said that to me. I don't let anybody put the angry black woman trope onto me. If I'm angry, I'll tell you I'm angry. If I'm not, I'll say that I'm not. You don't get to decide for me. And so I really encourage Gen Z to continue being the disruptors that they are and to speak out and to understand when you will speak out and it's to your detriment. I'm not doing you any favor by acting like it'll always be accepted because it won't. But something that I decided very early on in my career is that if I'm showing up as myself and it is not accepted, then that means that's not the space for me. 
and really embracing that mindset has really, it's gotten me, <laughs> you started off saying it's successful CEO, it's gotten me here, right? So it's worked for me. And I think that the more of us who show up as ourselves, um, the better off we'll be. That was a really long way to answer that. But um, it's something that really gets me going because it's like, you're mad that I have boundaries? Like, are you serious? But that's really what I think it is, to be honest. No, and I think I think this is a really good kind of theme to end on. And what I'll share, just kind of layering on top of what you said is I did this again, not necessarily with intention. And the more I realized I was doing this, the more I leaned in and it, I found it really empowering is in all of my jobs and all the roles that I've had, finding little acts of what at the time kind of felt like rebellion. And what I mean by that is keeping my nose piercing, the clothes that I chose to wear in the workplace, the way that I wrote emails. People ask me, my students ask me all the time, do you use emojis or emoticons in your emails? And I was like, I do. I write really clear, Extremely. wonderful emails. And I also use my personality and use my voice because that is how I speak. And I find it to be an easier way for me to communicate. And it's also makes that email more fun to read for the person on the other side of it. So, you know, I... I think that this piece of showing up and being yourself is also how you sustain yourself. It is not just about us pushing back about the culture and and rebellion and and questioning and and asking why. It's also if you have to 50 hours a week perform and be a different version of yourself, you are going to burn yourself out. You are not going to do your best work. You are not going to feel like your best self and you are going to wither. That's like really the best word I can think of. You're going to wither away. And that to me is the worst case scenario that can happen right to someone. And I think not only is it the right thing to do to fight these battles, even if they feel really small, like wearing sneakers in the workplace or or your nail length, with, these are not small things. These are all part of how we show up and how we express ourselves in, in the world. But it's also for your own self. Even if you're like, I'm not here to like fight this battle. I just want to show up and be me. That's amazing. Do it. Like that. That is what we need more of in this world. And so I think everything that you have shared today is something that I, I always think about our conversations for weeks after we have them, <laughs> Brittany. And I hope that people who listen are going to think a lot about how they show up and how they identify workplaces that are going to allow them to be their fullest selves and just very grateful for everything that you're doing in your in your position of privilege within your organization. And we have a lot we can learn from you. So I'm very grateful. Thank you. I'm grateful. And long ago, I told you, I love how you write your emails because I can tell that you're really writing your email. You're not writing it for your audience. You're writing it to communicate. And they're always clear. I always know exactly what's happening. But again, sometimes the performance gets in our way of really something that would feel good for us, right? You probably are excited to write them. It doesn't feel like drudgery because it's like, hmm, what quip can I include this time? Which emoji, right? Like really embracing joy and what's sustainable for us, I think is a key thing. Like I tell all of my friends, anybody who listen, peace is a practice. I fully believe that. And what peace looks like for you is not what peace looks like for me. And that's okay. But I'm always going to respect what your peace requires. And I ask that you do the same for me. And I think that that's critical and key. And I always think about our conversations after as well, because they're always really generative and you always ask really insightful questions. And I just have to say that I'm glad to know you because it gives me energy to know that we have more people that are asking the big questions, exploring the big answers and really seeking to be better in community with one another, which is really like my biggest thing. I'm in equity work. We do STEM, we do CTE, we train teachers, we do all of those things. But my underlying for it is how can we be better in community with one another? How can we support one another's humanity in a way that feels good, that feels right, that's sustainable, that's growing people instead of hindering them? And I think we're always going to get a little closer. Thank you so much, Brittany. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Careers They Didn't Tell You About podcast by Second Day. Please do rate, review, subscribe. It makes a really big difference to our team. If you have any feedback or ideas for me, you can reach out at mariam at secondday.org. That's M-A-R-I-A-M at second day, spelled out S-E-C-O-N-D-D-A-Y dot org. Music is Blessed Time by Ketza. And this podcast is edited and produced by my vote.